Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on Talent Talk. We have a great lineup of guests, and I hope you're looking forward to hearing all their great insights here on the show today and throughout the year as we uh, move along with all of our, our kind of our great lineup that we've been working on for you. The Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So, in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings, and the first is how it relates to success and how it you know kind of really talented people achieve success. And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So this show will explore those two different areas along with how talented individuals can impact a company's culture. The guests uh, here on the show typically are uh, CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, thought leaders, you know, just out there, just pretty good business leaders from all different types of industries that we can pull from. And what typically happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference, and I have the privilege of meeting one of these inspiring leaders, and I usually try to twist their arm and get them to come in here to the show, And which is really what the whole idea was. We created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and learn some practical advice on how to cultivate talent, develop leaders, and manage culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. So I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live right now and every Tuesday, if you have a question for one of the guests today, please send them in to uh, us via Twitter. Use the at PeopleG2 and add the hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, can feed me the best questions, and we'll work them into the show as time allows. You can also send us uh, suggestions for guests or anything else that's on your mind. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast of Talent Talk. Go on to your iTunes or Android and go to your podcast app. Type in Talent Talk, all one word, and... Up we will appear, and you can join the other 140,000 subscribers to that podcast feed. We thank uh, those of you who take the time to listen, whether it's live or on the podcast. So let's go ahead and get to today's show. My first guest is David New. He's the founder of Tiny HR and Buddy TV. And my second guest uh, is Brenda Williams. She's a return guest. She was uh, one of our very kind of early on guests. So Brenda will be uh, at the second part of the show. We're looking forward to hearing what's been going on with her. So let's go ahead and get started with uh, David. Uh, welcome to the show. I uh, really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, your companies that you're working with there, uh, Tiny HR and Buddy TV. What, what's going on? Yeah, sure. So actually, uh, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur uh, and angel investor here in Seattle, and uh, I've actually started three companies. Uh, the first one was called Net Conversions, and where I dropped out of business school and tried to commercialize a professor's research, raised about a million bucks from Guy Kawasaki and some other angels and made every single mistake in the book. MBA probably should have stood for uh, uh, managing by uh, accident, Um, but uh, we're still able to uh, survive that dot-com crash and sell that in 2004 to a a local company here called Aquana, which is now owned by Microsoft. And then my uh, entrepreneur journey took another twist, and me and my co-founder said, hey, it was a lot of fun. Let's do something different. Um, but, man, raising money is tough. Let's uh, definitely not raise money. So, obviously, it only made sense that we turned around and raised over $10 million and started a second company called Buddy TV, uh, which focuses on um, TV content and uh, the guide experience um, on your smartphone or tablet. And then in 2012, um, I broke away by myself after getting really burnt out at being a hard-charging entrepreneur, and I started at my third and most and present company uh, called Tiny HR and our solution, Tiny Pulse. So you have an interesting story that you know led you to start Tiny HR with, you know, which also has you know, become a book, Careercation. So why don't you share that story? It was kind of fascinating when I heard it the first time um, about what you know, kind of your your careercation that really got you to that point. Sure. So uh, basically, when I was um, near the tail end of my time at Buddy TV, and you know, like you're getting ready for work in the morning, you're staring at yourself in the mirror. I just realized that, you know, I wasn't super jazzed to go into work and I wasn't a nine or 10. And then I just monitored myself over time to see, you know, is this a isolated instance or was this more of a serial occurrence? 
and it occurred to me that um, it was I was just getting burnt out, and it was happening at a more regular occurrence. So I didn't think it was fair to the board, the investors, um, and but most importantly, the pr- people I'm privileged to manage on a day-to-day basis, because if I was at a 9 or 10, how could I inspire them to be a 9 or 10? At the same time, I had some uh, big life-changing moments. I got married and had a baby daughter in really quick succession. And um, you know, during that time, I was talking to my wife about our dreams in life, and one of mine was always to take this what I concept, what I called a career vacation or career-cation, um, which is you know instead of uh, saving up till you know, we're retiring, and we have a little bit of wealth, um, but our health goes down. And I've uh, unfortunately seen this in my own family, is that, well, doesn't it make more sense to cut up and tranche up your um, uh, your retirement throughout your life so that you can enrich it with these great experiences? So uh, even though our daughter was only a few months old, uh, my um, wife uh, agreed um, that we should uh, you know, do, do this, even though most of the people I, we talked to said that you're crazy. Um, and then in February of 2012, we sold everything we owned. Um, bought one-way tickets and uh, flew off um, to New Zealand uh, and, and traveled for about six months. And during that period, I uh, had two main goals. One was to create some amazing shared family memories with my young family. Uh, I just didn't want to miss those precious moments. Like her first birthday was at a camper van um, in Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand. And then the second part is I wanted to interview entrepreneurs and CEOs wherever I went to learn about their best practices when it came to leadership, culture, and managing people. Because I felt that that's the hardest part of any company when it comes down to the people. If I can't out-compete for talent, then I'm never going to be able to uh, win against my competitors. So I decided to go and find out from actual practitioners their lessons they learn in the trenches in hand-to-hand combat versus just reading a book. And then uh, through that, I interviewed over 35 CEOs who were gracious enough to um, welcome me into their office and share these insights, which I then uh, put together along with my family trip into that book, uh, Careercation. So that's how, um, you know, between Buddy TV and Tiny Pulse, there was a big about six-month gap where I was traveling around the world with my family. Well, it's a great story, and I'm sure a lot of us would, would certainly like to go and take one of those and uh, be able to have that, that time to, to think and time to have, you know, Probably, like you said, great family memories as well. Uh, and I'm sure New Zealand wasn't too bad of a place to hang out either. Um, so, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, as you kind of, you know, labeled yourself, you obviously have what it takes to have a vision and then run with it. So can you talk about what are some of the challenges you've had along the way with any of your ventures in, in trying to really execute that vision? Oh, my gosh. There's such a, a long list um, to think through. Um, you know, when I was thinking about uh, at net conversions, we are one of our main challenges. It was really funny. Um, this is when the bubble blew up. So we, as I mentioned, we raised a million bucks. And when the bubble blew up, we're like, oh, my gosh, we're running out of money. What should we do? And our first reaction is, let's go raise more money, right? And instead of focusing on delighting our customers and generating revenue, you know, we were in this game of on this treadmill to try to raise more money. So I think that was one of the first le- hard lessons I learned um, from net conversions is that, you know, you got to be able to delight your customers and generate sales so that they'll pay you, which is usually the lifeblood of any company. But as, you know, like I said, a young and naive MBA student, you know, I, you know, it just didn't even really occur to me. And then on Buddy TV, one of the lessons, you know, I learned the hard way was that Buddy TV was fighting what we call a two-front war. On the one front, we had to create a lot of amazing content and products so that people would come and use it and check out sites or download our app. But then we that's one front of the war, and then we'd have to take those eyeballs and then sell it to advertisers. Uh, and so that was like a two-front war, and I just realized, man, it's really hard to fight a one-front war, much less a two-front war. So a lot of those lessons, you know, with, uh, you know, at Tiny Pulse, we, you know, focus on, you know, just fighting one-front war, which is I'm going to delight my customers. If I do, they'll pay us. And then I think uh, most recently here at Tiny Pulse, you know, the – you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to people and um, and culture, and it's really hard, even for a company like ours that focuses on that and helps other companies generate uh, good insights so that they can uh, take action to spark positive change. But it's not something that it's one and done, and you can check off that box. It's just a continual effort, and some days are better than others. But you know, we always try to trend the right way. But uh, you know, even uh, you know, for a company that's focused on that, it's uh, you know, uh, an ongoing investment and a worthwhile one too. So to maybe give people a kind of understanding, Tiny Pulse is a company that's kind of dedicated to helping companies get that real pulse on how their people are doing and how 
they regard their employment or maybe how they're feeling about you know a particular thing but you're doing it in such a small way idea of a pulse you're just you're measuring one small thing at one particular moment in time so maybe you could talk a little bit about how that works and what are some of the methods you're using to kind of achieve this an accurate understanding of where you know the people are in the organization sure chris so when i was interviewing these entrepreneurs and ceos around the world um and i would ask them um, about how do they measure you know their, their culture because if you can't measure it you can't improve it and most people would say oh we do these once a year um, employee um, surveys or employee engagement surveys. And when I was a management consultant, that's what we did too. We'd get 50 questions at the end of the year. I'd answer them all. And then at the summer picnic, the managing partner would say, oh, thank you for answering it. You know, here are three trends. And I said, they're like, are you kidding me? You know, I spent all that time answering these really intentionally and thoughtfully. There's a six-month lag and so much has changed and that's all you give us is three high-level trends. But they check that box, rinse and repeat. So with Tiny Pulse, what we want to do is flip that model on its head. So we drip out one lightweight question on an ongoing basis. It could be either weekly or a monthly basis, but it's always only one question. So that principle makes it easy for the person who's filling out the question, and it also makes it easy for the, the managers or the leadership who's reviewing the question so they don't have analysis paralysis. So that's the tiny part of Tiny Pulse. And then, of course, we um, the other two fundamental um, tenets of Tiny Pulse is is also around anonymity. All the responses are anonymous so that you can get the most uh, honest and frank feedback from your people. And then finally is about uh, making it easy so that the leadership can share it back with the team so that they can feel acknowledged and then open it up for discussion based on the feedback that they got from the individual on questions such as how valued do you feel at work, um, what's one thing that um, – that we should do, consider doing to improve the way we do business. How would you rate how our customers think about us? So we look at different um, ways of looking at the business one question at a time. How do some of your customers respond to this? Because I imagine that, you know, when you you start focusing in on that single question and you're looking for a particular you know, one answer, employees can really, they might actually be giving a lot more uh, saying a lot more when they only have to answer one question than maybe they would, like you said, if they were given some 50-page thing and they might mm-hmm. slowly mention that they're unhappy versus if you got one answer from one question, you're going to let someone know you're unhappy or that you are really happy or whatever it may be in a much more direct way. So h- how are they responding to maybe some of this unexpected feedback, whether that's good or bad? Yeah, so, you know, um, first of all, um, you know, on our site, um, currently it says, you know, don't use Tiny Pulse unless you're a leader committed to change, don't use Tiny Pulse unless you're going to share that feedback back or don't use that Tiny Pulse unless you're going to actually do something with that feedback. And I think by having that up there, um, we people self-select when they come to the site and they may be interested in getting employee feedback. But, um, you know, they have to realize, hey, it's a lot of work. And when they get it, um, you know, we teach them, don't focus on the who, like who said this, focus on the what and, you know, what they're trying to share with you. And I find that most people very quickly, um, you know, they've never had this information before at their fingertips are able to um, really quickly see some um, low-hanging fruit opportunities and some much more um, involved investments that they have to make. So it's pretty quick um, when people start seeing that to be able to start taking action and to spark these positive um, momentum builders within the organization to have that flywheel effect where employees feel more comfortable because they're seeing acknowledgement or change to give more feedback. And do you feel like that there is a, you know, kind of a typical um, time that they, where a company might start seeing results if, if they're getting some, some constructive feedback, they're able to start making some changes, like you said, going after that low-hanging fruit or what have you. Do you, do you typically see like a time frame where they you know they immediately are starting to see results, or within a year they might really you know feel like their culture starting to make the right change? I mean, is there kind of like a, a target there? There is. Uh, so we look at it in two two different ways. First of all, uh, the low hanging fruit changes can uh, happen very quickly. Um, so it could be uh, just days um, after they start using Tiny Pulse. But from my clarification research, I found out independently corroborated about the, the amount of time it takes to have ongoing, sustainable uh, culture changes. And I've never read this in HBR or anywhere else. And by interviewing these people, I realized that if leaders are committed to it and it starts from the top down um, and they they reemphasize it, it takes about six to 12 months of concentrated effort for them to see 
uh, ongoing sustainable results. So I'll tell people, hey, look, this doesn't um, fix itself, but you're going to start generating momentum almost immediately if these low-hanging fruit changes. But to see your happiness trend, because one of the questions we ask on an ongoing basis is on a scale of 10, 1 to 10, how happy are you at work? So that starts establishing a benchmark so as people start investing, they can see, hey, you know, am I doing better or am I doing worse? And, uh, you know, hopefully people are ticking in the right direction based on the investment. But it will usually take about 6 to 12 months of concentrated effort before they're starting to see uh, sustained improvement over time. And what about the opposite? You know, people that are getting this feedback, and then, but they, they don't want to believe it. Or they think it's just a few rogue employees or, you know, they want to kind of, you know, fight it for a while. Do you, do you have that scenario happen too? Yeah, you know, we, we do. And I, and I think um, it's usually pretty minor um, because most of the people who are signing up for our services, you know, they, they feel that there's a need for them or their group or their company. So they're seeking out something. So most um, of our leads are all inbound and people coming to us. So we find that's very seldom that people will um, come to our site, pay for it, try it out, and they're like, oh, you know, this, this makes no sense um, because they've already pre-qualified themselves because we're very clear in what in the effort it takes because, you know, the solution does not solve the, the cultural issues that may be having there, but people have to roll up their sleeves and really dive in. And some people, they just think it's too much work and it's not worth it, And which, you know, is surprising since if you're going to invest in anything, why wouldn't you invest in your people and your culture, the ultimate competitive advantage? But, uh, you know, just for some people, that's just not for them. And, uh, unfortunately, we just have to, um, you know, sometimes know that, uh, you know, maybe they w- aren't ready for uh, Tiny Pulse and the implications. Yeah, absolutely. And, and is this something that you guys use as well in your own company? Absolutely. Uh, we eat our own dog food not only for feature and functionality, but, you know, being a startup that's growing really fast, we're onboarding all the time. We've got people here in the U.S. and then also overseas. And, uh, you know, the happiness score doesn't lie. Like, we went through a pretty tough patch about three months ago where, you know, our happiness score is pretty low. And I, I knew what was going on. And then, uh, you know, we had to have some pretty uh, uh, stark conversations and changes. And, you know, one of my management goals this year is to really move up, um, um, you know, get that happiness uh, score trending in the right direction. So, um, you know, even for a company that focuses on that, um, you know, I got to tend to my own garden and keep investing in it and knowing that, Hey, um, it's not nirvana. Uh, it's, um, it's hard work and dedication, but, you know, I just got to keep investing. So it's a um, invaluable piece for us to maintain, you know, high camaraderie, high morale, and high recognition within our office. Well, it sounds like you recognize a challenge there, and you, then you kind of have an idea in your mind of what you want your company's culture to look like. And do you feel like you're, you're close to that? And kind of a secondary question would be is, is the culture that you're striving for now different than the ones that you have with the other companies that you mentioned? Yeah, you know, I don't think there's ever a finish line. You know, like Nike says, there's no finish line, and I don't want to have a, a illusion of having a finish line and, you know, where I can uh, invest a certain amount and kind of uh, wipe my hands clean and I'm done, the culture is going to protect itself. Um, I think with hard work and investment, you will cultivate a, um, a great following of, you know, some people call it like white blood cells um, that jealously protect the culture. Um, in the company and will we'll work hard to expel um, people who don't fit. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, something that I would like to strive for. But I know that, you know, it's just it's an ongoing process and it's never going to end. And then um, so yeah, that's something that, uh, um, you know, some that I'm, I'm very attuned to. And then what was the second part of your question, Chris? Is the culture that you're striving for now in your organization different than that was with Buddy TV or the other one that you, know, that you mentioned, you know, kind of your other entrepreneur yeah. things? Definitely. I mean, my first start at Net Conversions, we didn't even have the notion of what culture is. And we probably didn't even write down values. And then in my uh, at Buddy TV, we probably wrote down the values at the beginning, and we never really revisited the, the values. They're just like words in the break room. So, in a, and of course, each um, value uh, for is different for each company because there's different things that, uh, you know, the leadership or the founders want to want to um, attract and execute again. So, yes, they're um, all very, very unique and different. If we kind of you know, step away just kind of a little bit here from company culture and into something that goes into that, and that is this idea of, or concept and practice of leadership development. That's something that's really important that we see with successful organizations. So what do you do to help develop your own employees and strengthen their leadership abilities, capabilities, and even even just taking people from not being leaders into leaders? And what was sort of the, the things that you do to cultivate that internally? 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's a great point. I think, uh, um, you know, I read this quote from Andy Grove. He said that there's only two ways to increase output from your team. One is motivation, culture, and getting them amped up. And then two is training. So I think I've done a, um, a good job on the motivation side. And on the leadership side is something that, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, looking to do more investments in. And, you know, we, we just started our, our first uh, book club uh, for the leadership team. Uh, I encourage our team uh, to go to courses. So some people are going to design courses. Other people are going to sales courses. Other people have gone to PR courses. And then we also, um, you know, because we have investors and I know a lot of people in the local community, we have a brown bag lunches where we'll bring in experts um, in certain areas to share their stories about their wins and uh, uh, war wounds that they've gone through. I'm also really big in giving back and being a part of the community. So if there's something that you're really passionate about, create a meetup for it and facilitate it. Like, for example, here in Seattle, uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a SaaS business, so I've created a SaaS CEO roundtable uh, just so I can learn from them. So, And we have a SaaS head of marketing uh, roundtable just for the, team, uh, the folks in our marketing team. So I definitely encourage them to go out and seek these opportunities and being very self-directed. And at the same time, I know that, uh, you know, that's something that I need to improve on is to, um, you know, invest more and provide more training so that, uh, you know, we can collectively increase our output as a team. So happy to hear that you're doing some book clubs. That's uh, something that I'm involved in. We do, too, for for HR uh, professionals. And uh, we love just, you know, learning and, and having the opportunity to discuss the books as well. So I'm wondering uh, if that's something you're doing. Then what book are you reading right now? And what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so right now I'm reading this book called uh, Challenger Sales. Have you read this by chance? Yes, uh, it's a great book, but man, is it a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, um, it's I've, definitely I've, a lot. I've been able to see them, a guy who's been involved in writing it uh, speak a few times, and that actually helped clarify some things. But yeah, please go ahead, because it, it, it's a great book. Yeah, and you know, so I've always been, so uh, at Net Conversions, I told you that you know we were making every mistake in the book, and then we were running out of money, and my co-founder and I realized we couldn't raise any money. So we had to learn how to sell. And sales is almost a dirty word in the MBA world. But it, to me, it's so backwards, and that's one of the number one um, competencies that should be taught in the MBA program that isn't taught, and that's just a tragedy. So uh, when we started getting into sales, I read everything I could get my hands on. The one that really resonated with me was um, you know, the classic Neil Rackham spin selling. So uh, you know, that, has been, that has influenced my approach for the last 15 years. But when I read Challenger Sales, and someone mentioned this to me about a year ago, I didn't pick up the book, and then someone else mentioned it, so then I picked it up, it really blew my mind. And I think that, you know, around, hey, you got to educate them, and I, I think there's a lot of dynamics that they don't actually talk about in the book, because they dealt with some, like, old-school companies like Granger and so forth, but with the advent of the Internet, uh, information's free-flowing, it's much easier to uh, do a trial for products, um, and that it's also easier to, you know, join groups and figure out what other people's experience. It's dramatically changing the threshold for sale and the need for, you know, this education and trusted advisors. So um, it's right now um, our, our team is reading it, and I think that it will have some major impact in terms of, you know, how we try to uh, uh, educate and share with our prospects. And, you know, at the end of the day, it might not work for, um, it, you know, what we do may not be a fit for everyone, but at least uh, we'll hopefully be able to give them some nuggets of information that they can take away and at least think about and say, hey, I, I've never thought about it that way to at least spark some uh, leave, uh, leave behind uh, value for them. Yeah. Well, uh, David, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, the last question I'll make sure we ask you is how can people get a hold of you or learn more about Tiny Pulse if they're interested in, in the things that you're doing? Sure. So uh, they can reach me um, on Twitter at David New, uh, D-A-V-I-D-N-I-U, or they can email me at David at TinyPulse.com. So either way works, and uh, happy to engage further. Well, again, a pleasure to have you on the show. Hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us uh, great news on uh, maybe your, your giant wave of new sales from implementing the Challenger sale, or, or maybe your next venture. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you won't be at a 9 or 10 in a year. So we'd, uh, we'd love to have you come back. Okay, thanks so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. All right, uh, up next is Brenda Williams after this brief commercial break. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? 
Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else, and that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs, and it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question uh, for my next guest, you can send it to us on Twitter, at uh, PeopleG2. Use the hashtag Talent Talk, and we'll try to work it in. Don't forget, you can also uh, visit TalentTalkRadio.com, listen to past shows, or go into the podcast app and look us up that way. And finally, don't forget, we have our Orange County HR Summit coming up May 20th, and we're going to have some great speakers and uh, a lot of kind of good learning and strategic uh, thinking for HR executives and leaders, and we hope you'll join us. If you want more information about that, just send it to at PeopleG2 or give us a call. My next guest is uh, Brenda Williams. She's a returning guest, and she's the CEO of Your Coaching Solution. And she's been in a little bit under the weather, but we're glad she could make it. So, Brenda, welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. It's an honor to be here. Well, it, it, you make your voice a little bit sexier, I guess, so that, that might be good for radio. Well, we'll see. Hopefully it stays with us. It's yeah. doing much better today. Good. So for those that uh, that those who are listening that don't know you and maybe didn't hear you the first time you were on the show, tell everyone about yourself and uh, anything that's you know new that uh, you're really focusing on with your uh, coaching solution business. Okay. Thank you. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Brenda Williams. I'm the founder of Your Coaching Solution, and I am a coach, a leadership communication coach, and professional speaker. And that's evolved over the years. I started out in corporate America. I worked in corporate in the business world for over 25 years, and I worked in uh, providing IT consulting services at the C-level all the way on down. And I worked with a lot of HR managers and directors throughout the years, as well as the CIO and the IT staff. And I realized that everybody had something in common, and that was communication. So as I started discovering about 15 years ago what my purpose and passion was, I went in search of what is my purpose in life? What would give me more meaning? And I realized that a big portion of what I was already doing was what I loved to do. And that was to inspire and motivate people to reach for what they enjoy in life. And I realized that communication was a part of it all. Well, and that's... uh I think, I think that's probably the number one thing that people just don't focus on is, is how well or how effectively they can communicate what they're doing, wh- how, what that's communicating to those around them. Um, I know those are some pretty important things that you focus on, but maybe before we go a little bit deeper in that, I'm wondering, I was just kind of curious as you were talking and you know, you've been, you've been doing this, whether it's consulting or coaching, you kind of, you know, for, for quite a long time, has the demand for that type of business, especially in the coaching area, kind of grown over the years, and, and, and have you seen a, maybe a change uh, in people's uh, you know, willingness to want to be coached or to have someone come in and help them uh, at all over, over, the, over that period of time? Yes, for sure. I think coaching has become much more prevalent. People are starting to realize that there's certain, certain skills that we haven't been really taught in school and that looking at your strengths and your gaps it's part of becoming a great leader. It's part of being successful in almost anything you do. And I believe that no matter what level we're at, whether it's a C-level, um, all the way down to worker bees, we all have strengths and gaps. And when we look at them and become consciously aware of what they are, 
we can make a choice as to who we want to become and where we need to focus next to reach for our greatness. I like to put it in reaching for our greatness because it truly is becoming awakened and deciding who you want to be, where you want to go next in the world, and what's it going to take to get there. And that's what I do as a coach. I help people gain clarity, get focused, create that awareness, remove the hidden blocks and obstacles that are standing in people in front of them. They don't even see it. It's under their nose. And because it's who we are, it's who we've become, we don't see these hidden roadblocks and obstacles. So I help them create that awareness. I help them see things that they normally don't see. And people are starting to realize it's a much higher percentage than it was 10 or 15 years ago that uh, emotional intelligence is a good name for it. Becoming emotionally intelligent, emotionally aware, how do I show up, how do I communicate, what are my thought patterns that I have that could be standing in my way of complete success and happiness? And the most important piece is removing stress from your life. And we are in complete control of that through our own thinking process. Well, you know, with each person, you know, having, spending so much of their day trying to just deal with their own stuff and trying to deflect stress and stay focused and do all these things, what is it that motivates you to want to help others do that? Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, it, it's your job and there's that part of it. But there, there's got to be an emotional part of it there for you that makes you want to go and really help people, you know, push away those those things that they don't need to be dealing with and really, you know, become such a better person, a more effective person, a more, you know, better communicator. Would you, do you, can you put your finger on that? Absolutely. What motivates me is I've applied everything that I teach to my own personal life, and it's transformed my world. And I became very awake 15 years ago when I decided to, what I say, look in the mirror. And I say, look in the mirror at the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Because sometimes there's certain things about our personalities or the way we think or the way we show up that, you know, we might not love. Have you ever had a day where you said something or did something and you kind of kicked yourself at the end of the day and said, I wish I handled that differently. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd said that differently. And so... Being from the East Coast of the United States, I like to say I I grew up with the loud Italians and the crazy Irish people. So the habits and the patterns that I learned as a child uh, were unfiltered. Right. (laughs) So I've learned the hard way, and I'm trying to help others learn the easy way. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, uh, was it Emerson that said, your greatest weakness is also your greatest strength. So, I mean, that, that gets into it. I mean, how, how do you take those things that you're good at that, you know, but not do it so over the top, not to take it so far? I mean, probably your your directness, your bluntness is probably a, a really, really important when you're working with someone. But if you take it too far, then they can become offended or, or retract or not be as open with you. So there's always kind of everyone's walking that fine line with what they're good at. And, and it, when, when can it turn into a negative? You make a good point there because that, that's why I go back to saying we all have strengths and gaps because some of us grew up in environments where we were direct and straightforward and we love that. Others grew up in a world where they were told to be more introverted, more reserved, more conservative, and less outspoken. And both sides of the fence have pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages. So learning where you show up on that totem pole and how to use the blend and how to reach into each of those areas when it's necessary makes you a successful communicator. And so when you understand where you show up on that scale, you can consciously be aware of how you can effectively communicate. And it changes the game in your life, your personal life, with your family, your friends, your loved ones, your children, all the way into the business world with your coworkers, your employees. And that's why I became a communication specialist is because it affects all areas of your life. And if you want to relieve stress and have more happiness and success, communication is the pathway to get there. I'm very passionate. I get a high on helping people create that awareness and have that aha moment and find the skills the tools and the resources to create that communication pathway to have in the life that they want. And it's, it's exciting when I can see people opening that door and changing their world. 
And since I did that, I married my soulmate. I became an entrepreneur. I founded a business that helps people and businesses. It is so exciting when you can wake up each day and do something you're passionate about that helps other people. It's the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. So that's where I get my passion from, is being able to help others do what I've already done. And I like to say I practice what I preach. (laughs) Yeah. I imagine along the way, though, you've had maybe a few challenges. And while you're kind of acting as a a coach for someone, have there any that kind of stick out that you might share with us in, 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 you know, having a difficulty that maybe you didn't expect that you had to kind of overcome? When I was coaching someone? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm coaching two different people um, that are project managers right now. And it's very interesting. Project managers and HR people are some of my, my largest clientele because everything they do revolves around communication. And when someone is really willing to look in that mirror, at, like I said, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and look closely at who they are, and be able to embrace it and accept this is who I am. I know why I'm this way. That's the way I grew up, the experiences, the events that I had as a child. And now I realize there's certain things that would serve me better. And I want to focus on changing a few things about myself. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to say, okay, this is who I've been. There's certain things about my personality my communication style, my tone of voice, my listening skills, my questioning skills. There's things about me that I'd like to change and be more effective at. And for one person, they can embrace that. And for another person, they might judge themselves. They might hit themselves across the head a few times because of the way they've been showing up in life. And they have a harder time embracing it. So the people that are able to master the system I have are the ones that are willing to say, wow, okay, this is great stuff. I love looking at my strengths and gaps. I'm willing to embrace that and look at who I am and who I've become and what's it going to take to change to be the person that I want to be and to go to the next level in my life. And when they embrace that and they are willing to take that journey, their world transforms. Their, their lives just become happier. They relieve stress. They have stronger bonded relationships, and it's, it's an amazing journey of self-discovery, and it's a journey that takes you to the next level in your world to have that complete happiness. And people that embrace it and open that doorway are the ones that will really be able to have that completely fulfilling life. And I think I heard you mention, you know, the, the idea of, creating a balance in your life. So what do you think it takes to truly achieve that balance where a leader can, you know, feel like they are doing something different that, you know, makes them more of a holistic leader versus maybe kind of being an authoritarian leader or how do you you think they can get to that point? They have to be aware of what that point is. That's the first step. It was very interesting to me when I when I founded Your Coaching Solution. Uh, the business name is Your Coaching Solution because I have a passion for coaching, and I found that education is a big piece of this. Learning the tools and the resources that you need to know to create that balance and become a great leader of yourself and others is a necessity. So my business is actually going to be rebranded. I'm in the process and I'm changing my name to the Academy for Leadership Communication so that I can teach and train and inspire people to learn these tools through my speaking and my workshops and the training that I do. And when I put together my first workshop around leadership and communication, I was amazed at all the pieces that are involved in becoming a great leader of yourself, of others, and the difference between being a manager and a leader and someone who can inspire and motivate others and create that vision and that pathway uh, to lead people towards a common cause. Uh, but the biggest, biggest challenge along that way is learning those skills. And the balance is an interesting question because you have traditionalists and baby boomers in the workplace and then you have millennials and Gen Xers. And Traditionalists and baby boomers are typically more leaning towards workaholic and they give everything to their career and they let some of their personal life 
uh, take the hit. <laughs> and then you've got the Gen X and the millennials that saw that happening with their moms and dads, and now they've taken the opposite direction. And mm-hmm. their personal life has become their number one priority, traveling, enjoying life, having more balance, and they put more attention towards that. And I believe there's a good opportunity to have some blend here. And when you can balance all of the puzzle and you focus on, okay, I need to give this much to my career, I need to, I need to give this much to being a great leader of, in the business world, but I also need to lead myself and I need to be healthy, And I think as we grow older, we realize how important that is. And we need to work on having fun in life and joy because if we don't have that, we're not happy as a leader. So we're not able to create that joy, happiness, and passion inside an organization. So I believe it's being consciously aware of the balance. When I coach people, I actually have a wheel. I have a wheel of life. I have a career wheel, a leadership wheel, communication wheel, and we look at the pieces of the pie on that wheel. And what are all the facets that it takes that you need to focus on to have balance? And so you have to really focus on it because it's not something that will come naturally. And I know one of the things that you do talk about um, is this kind of concept of energy leadership. Could you maybe talk about what that is and how that fits into all this? Yes, energy leadership is the program that I provide, and it is the leadership uh, coaching uh, process that I went through because it was the only tool that I ever found in over 15 years of research that was a resource that could help people shift their thinking. So being consciously aware is the first step. Who am I? How do I show up? What are my strengths and my gaps? But once you understand that, that's great. But then they'll be like, well, how do I change? And that was a big thing for me. It was like, well, I've been this way for many years. And for some, that's 20 or 30. For others, it's 50 and 60. (laughs) But you've created habits and patterns that you fall back to naturally. So changing is something that comes with a little bit of difficulty for some. So having a tool and a resource that can help you change, something you can refer back to on a daily basis, makes a huge difference in how you can make that shift. And so the Energy Leadership Program that I have is a whole program that provides a book, it provides an assessment, a personal assessment, and then it provides a program around learning skills and tools that will teach you how to be better at leadership, communication, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, and uh, many other areas. But it's a resource that changes your thinking and your emotions that are attached to it. So have you ever been in a meeting where someone shows up to that meeting and you just dread them coming because they kind of drain the energy in the room? Oh, yeah. And then you've been in a meeting where that person shows up and they're excited and they're enthusiastic and they get people excited and pumped up. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Who would you rather have in that meeting? Oh, yeah. It's easy. <laughs> so it's a... it's. It's easy to say, but hard for some to do. People are running around so crazy, so stressed out these days from meeting to meeting to meeting, and they got pressure and they've got budgets, and sometimes they forget to pay attention to how am I showing up in that meeting. Am I that one that excites and engages the audience, or am I that person that they dread seeing? And some people aren't very aware of how they're showing up on that scale. So when I can create that awareness for them, they can then shift and change and become an inspirational leader that inspires and motivates and excites and engages teams to be more collaborative and more excited to show up. And that seems to be a common challenge in most companies. There's always someone in the leadership circle that is draining the energy inside the company. So when I work with the leadership teams and I help them become more aware and more engaged and more excited, they can then spread that enthusiasm throughout an organization. Well, and I know that one of the things you're kind of known for is helping create that synergy among those teams, and it sounds like this is a part of that equation, Um, you know, along with kind of getting that commitment to the the team and, and then delivering it to the clients. So what do you do to achieve that type of positive energy that, drives those teams and are there things that people should be thinking about 
um, you know, to really help their teams be working better together. I mean, it sounds like there's that, you know, we all have our own personal responsibility to, to be more engaged and to be that, that that good person that everybody wants in the meeting. But I'm kind of guessing there's there's more to it as well that, you know, there's a deeper dynamic that ne- people really need to be focused into. Well, you know, it's interesting. I People will say to me, well, I work with someone at the office and they're really difficult to work with and they're never going to change. <laughs> and I'll say, well, First of all, you can't force people to change. You can't change others, but you can change how you respond to others and how you show up. And recently I was coaching one of these project managers I was speaking to, and she was showing up in a different light. She had a very difficult project she's working on. And about nine months ago she told the entire leadership team in this very large organization that this project was going to turn into a disaster if they didn't do X, Y, and Z. And for many months, people weren't showing up to the meetings. They weren't doing X, Y, Z. Turn the clock forward nine months later. The the project, which is a very large initiative, has turned into a disaster. So now she has to call a meeting with all of these leaders. Finally, they all show up. And what was amazing to her is typically she would have gone into that meeting and it would have been the blame game, the finger pointing, the why the project went so south, and a lot of that would have occurred. And she showed up at a higher level of thinking through this self-mastery system I've been working with her on, and she got a totally different result. People focused on the solution. How do we solve the problem? How do we come together? How do we work collaboratively? You know, what can we do now to make this turn around? And what can we do differently in the future so this will never happen again? And she said it was so interesting just showing up in a different way, got a different result from the people in that room. And so that's the first step. You've got to show up in a different light. You've got to show up thinking at higher levels of energy. And that is focused more on forgiving, compassion, not judging others, not blaming others, focused on the solution. How can we all work together effectively as a team? How can we collaborate more effectively? And focus on that versus so many times you've got the, the underlying, even though it may be quiet, the infighting, the blame game, the he said, she said, versus taking responsibility for what you can do to be more effective, to be more of a team player, to be more of a leader. So it really starts with you first. And that sounds like uh, probably a perfect example for people to really understand that they can make changes. Sometimes they're just small changes. Sometimes they're big changes. And they can get completely different results. And And I'm imagining that, you know, you have kind of pick these things up and be able to help people implement them over time. And one of the things I'm a little curious about is, do you think that your approach to coaching has sort of changed over time? I mean, did you kind of think it was going to be in one place, but now you're kind of in a new sweet spot that that you didn't see yourself ending up in to help people be more effective? The coaching piece of it is a thought-provoking process. When you are, a lot of people will call themselves a coach, but they're not truly in the essence of coaching. They are more mentoring or consulting. When you have a coaching hat on, you are asking thought-provoking questions that helps an individual understand more about themselves. And it's like peeling back an onion. And it's amazing during the coaching process where people will say something out loud and they'll say, you know, I've thought that for a long time, but when I say it out loud, it's an eye-opener for me as to what that really means how your words can make a difference into how you think, how you how you relate to people. And so the coaching piece hasn't changed as much as I will take off my coaching hat and I'll put on my consulting hat or my mentoring hat or my training hat and help provide different resources and tools to help people learn and grow. Because there's only so far you can take people with coaching. In the coaching world, we believe everybody has the essence and the power within themselves to learn, but I also believe you have to provide tools and resources, and that's what I've been adding to what I do as a coach. How do I provide them with the tools, the resources, and the knowledge to get to the next level? And I know that uh, certainly uh, we've learned a lot here from you today, and the things that you're doing seem like 
the kinds of things that really anybody you know could benefit from, whether you're having a very specific problem or you just want to get better at what you're doing, better at being a leader, better at communicating, uh, changing the energy and the effectiveness of of the the meetings that you're having and and the initiatives or the projects that you're trying to to, over, to make happen. And I'm sure that some of the ways in which you you learn about these things and kind of stay on top of it is to be reading books. So I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading right now. I know you like to read because you are a member of our Orange County uh, uh, HR book club. So, um, But I'm wondering if this month there's a particular book you might be focusing on you might share with us. Well, I'm actually reading a couple books right now. I'm rereading the Energy Leadership book because there's so many little nuances in there that help people learn and grow, that helps people see in the business world. It's a business-focused book. Here's the people I work with. Here's the person that's excited and enthusiastic. Here's the person that's checked out. And here's the person that's just going through the motion. And then you learn how to work more effectively with them because you see the coach coach them and discover through active listening and clarifying questioning skills, how are people showing up? Why are they showing up in that light? How do I motivate people that are just haphazardly showing up to work? that aren't excited and enthusiastic, that aren't engaged. And so that's that's one book that I absolutely love that I'm reading again. And I love the book that you did a few months ago in your book club, The Mindset. The, you either have a fixed mindset mm-hmm. or you have a growth mindset. Yeah, Dr. Carol Dweck, that was a, a great book, and I highly suggest that to anyone. In fact, and the book that we're doing this month for the book club, which is The Talent Code, actually is sort of like a an extension of the mindset. He talks about the mindset book a lot in that book book the talent code and it's sort of this nice you know kind of building it's the next step of thinking after reading mindset so if anyone enjoyed mindset check out talent code or uh brenda's books as well really appreciate you coming back to the show um if anyone is interested in uh becoming a better leader a better communicator and, and improving their lives and they're interested in working with you to do that what's the best way for them to reach out uh, they can call me at 714-283-1186, or they can go to my website at yourcoachingsolution.com. And coaching is uh, Y-O-U-R-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N.com. And I actually have a leadership workshop coming up in April that's going to include a lot of the skills we've talked about uh, and help people become more active listeners, ask better questions, communicate more effectively, learn to inspire and motivate their teams. So it's a great workshop to bring teams of people to to help them collaborate more effectively and all be on the right mindset. Well, it's fantastic, Brenda. I really appreciate, again, you being on the show. We've learned a lot here today. And uh, as always, uh, you're always welcome to come back. Well, thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure being here. I really appreciate it. You have a wonderful day. All right. That's about all the time we have for today's show. Thank you again to my guests, David New and Brenda Williams. Tune in live next week at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I will have one guest on for the entire hour. His name is Mark Goldson. He's the CEO of the Goldson Group. He is a... uh, uh, multi-time author, uh, FBI uh, negotiator. He's been on Oprah. The guy is just, he's fantastic. He's also going to be speaking at the OCHR Summit in May 20th that I mentioned. But we're going to spend the whole hour with him uh, next week and uh, really start to dive into some of his great concepts about listening, how to have difficult conversations. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 